told my brother, I said, okay, here's the deal. You do the work, I'll get you the work. I don't want to be out there in the sun. I don't want to be pushing broom. Dad gave us a credit card, $5,000, bought the equipment, paid it off in a month. And um, we went into business. And then I dropped out of college a year later, started taking business classes. And I got a I got like a C or a D on a business writing letter. And by that time, I was making more than the instructor. I was in business and it was doing well. So I said, you know, I'm not learning it. Welcome to the Exponential Growth Podcast, where we demystify what it takes to break into tech. I'm your host, James Hudnell, and my goal is to highlight real-life examples of people with non-traditional backgrounds moving into careers they love, so you can too. Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Nick Froelich, the founder and CEO of Saratasa, a technology development company. Nick, welcome to the Exponential Growth Show. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Glad to have you. So Nick, the goal of the show, if I had one, is to deconstruct different paths into tech in hopes that those listening can take the best bits and pieces and construct their own. Now, from the research I've done, you certainly seem to fit that bill, having charted your own unique path into tech, but you're also a bit unique in that you know, you're at the helm of a company that you founded going on, I think, 20 years. So maybe I'd love to start by briefly touching on Saratasa and give the listeners an idea of what you do at a high level. Sure. Well, Saratasa, uh, we are a custom software consulting or development company, which basically means we write custom software for mostly businesses, some startups, but anybody really that wants to create a software product. We have about 200 people in the company now. Most of those are engineers or developers. We have designers, DevOps, different uh, technologies, PHP, Python, some front-end Java, iOS, and Android for mobile. And uh, we also do some VR that's been growing as well. Cool. Yeah, no, that that sounds amazing. And I, I want to come back to Siratasa, but before we do that, uh, I was listening to another podcast that you did, and I think I understand that your family originally immigrated over to, uh, I think, California it was. Take us back and maybe just briefly touch on that time in your life, early childhood. What did you do for fun? What did you maybe envision yourself becoming one day? <laughs> That's a good question. So yeah, my, my parents immigrated from Germany after they grew up right after uh, the war, uh, World War II, and a, a lot of people were leaving Germany because it was really torn about. And, uh, you know, America, that was the place to go. It was the land of uh, Hollywood, James Dean, um, Elvis Presley and everything. And so they they immigrated to California, Southern California, and that's where I grew up as a, as a young kid. And in the, uh, you know, I was born in 1965, but, you know, in the mid-70s and stuff. So different different era, right? I mean, there were no yeah. electronics at all. Yeah. Uh, growing up, um, you know, a, a wagon, you know, the little wagon, the, the, the wheels up and down the street. Uh, skateboards were just starting, just starting. Nice. Um, they were a fad. Um, you know, a paper route, uh, with a bicycle and a sidecar, you know, walk to school. I mean, just a, yeah. it's a... Boy, it's an interesting question because it's been so long, but it was yeah. a very, very different life. Uh, and, you know, in the morning, you, you watch Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes, um, Fred Flintstone. Um, in the evening, Bewitched. Um, I Dream of Jeannie. I don't know if, you know. I have you, heard of that. If, yes. Okay, you've heard of it. Well, these, these are the shows. And then Wonderful World of Disney on uh, Sunday nights. You know, that's through elementary school and stuff. And then in, in high school, I think it was a sophomore year, we got the Apple IIe. So that's one of the first computers, right? First, it was the Apple One, and then the Apple Two. So it's a it's a console. It's not the Mac, and it's got a screen, and it's uh, it's got a, a cursor base, right? Doesn't have a mouse or anything. And um, we learned basic, and the math teacher taught basic, you know. And he's he's kind of learning it. He's learning it as he's teaching it. Yeah, 
there's a couple of us that really got through the book, you know, the first month, you know, you just, you just go through the book and you learn basic. Wow. Yeah. It was fun. I, I, I wish I could describe what that is because the only other machine we touched before that was uh, freshman year's typewriting. You know, okay. you, you, you had a room full of typewriters. You got to take the typewriting class and they're manual, you know, and you're graded by there's onion paper and you got to hit with your pinky reach over and hit with the same strength as your forefinger and you get graded on that. Right. But a computer. Wow. Yeah. You know, everybody's favorite program, right? 10, uh, clear screen or CLS, uh, line 20 print quote, Nick is great. Line 30, go to line 20 run. Wow. Nick is great. Nick is great. Nick is great. It's cool. Right. <laughs> but really that was the beginning. Uh, that was my fascination and, and not that many people took that class. And, and yeah. next year it was Pascal which okay. means you can move things around and do things other than word programs. So Yeah. So at this point, Nick, did you ever have any designs on maybe pursuing this as a career? Because it sounds like you were very taken by the, the programming. No, I did not. I guess I didn't really understand the impact. For me, it was just a, it's a toy, right? I mean, it yeah. was, it was different than your Nintendo games. This was something that you interact with and you right. could write little programs like those adventure ones. It's like you walk in the window, pick door one or pick door, door two. Right. And you write these things. And so, no, I didn't think that at all. Um, you know, I just went to college undeclared, didn't know what I was going to do. But what happened is that in 1984, if you remember, that's when the Mac came out. You remember the, the ad and everything. The advertisement. The yeah. They famous the rebels, ad at the right. Super Bowl. My dad bought me a Macintosh my senior year, Christmas. Again, this thing. I mean, it's ugly now, but you remember the, the beige box and it had a 128K RAM, no hard drive, and a floppy disk 5K, mm. 5, 5, 512K. So that's the operating system and MacWrite and MacPaint. And I spent day and night on that thing. And I don't know what I was doing, just yeah. launching MacWrite, MacPaint, and then then they had those user clubs that would meet somewhere. Uh, I thought they were all geeks, but I guess I went. <laughs> so I was a geek too. I must have been, right? Swapping drives with these games, these, these fun little games, Load Runner and stuff. And it was just, it was just fascinating. But um, yeah. I didn't connect the dots. I, I, I heard you know, a few years later that a couple of my friends that liked the computer, they went on and got like jobs, like programming jobs. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't a programmer. I was a user. Okay. So yeah, it didn't, didn't, didn't dawn on me at all. I'd love to pull on the thread where you mentioned going to college with maybe a lack of intentionality. And I'll go first insofar as I did the exact same thing, Nick. And my story is a little bit different from what I think I've heard about yours and the limited research that I've done. I guess I was first generation college student in my family. And it was expected of me to go. And for that reason, I just, when I was in high school, it was like, yeah, I guess I'm going to college because that's what mom and dad say that I need to do. I don't know what I want to do, but that's what I'm going to do. And long story short, what happened with me is I, I went there. I had no intentionality. It took me a total of eight years to get a four-year bachelor's degree. And in the end, you know, today, I'm so fortunate to have pivoted into tech. I work at LinkedIn as an apprentice back-end engineer. So I'm extremely fortunate to be where I am, but it was certainly a rocky road to get there. So all of that to say, I think what I heard in the last podcast you did is that you planned on going to college, but I think you got some pushback from your family where they asked you, you know, why are you doing that? Why don't you go out and build something? Talk about that. 
they were what you consider blue collar, right? In in Germany at that time, you the only people that would go to university is if you're going to be a a doctor or a, or a physicist or a scientist or something. Otherwise, you you go to trade school. You learn a trade, right? You do something with your hands. So you know, like my one of my cousins is a cabinet maker, and you know that's looked. I mean, it's a it's a it's a it's a you know it's a craft, right? It's 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 not like they look at it differently. So they sent me to a private school. And then I said, well, I want to go to college. And the only reason I said so is because everybody else was doing it. They're all like, yeah. why? I mean, are you going to be a doctor, a lawyer? I mean, why? we paid for your education. Go get a job. Go learn a trade. Go do something. And uh, I went anyway, knowing. But at that same time, um, about my second year, or yeah, about my second year, they encouraged me and my younger brother, two years younger than me, he was working. He he picked up a job grinding concrete. Mm. Anyway, it's a, it's a it's a good little sidebar here. He was working at a gas station, and um, and there was this guy that was having car problems, and he helped the guy. They pushed it there, and then he you know, helped start the car and everything. Well, the guy's name was Richard Nixon. It was the nephew of the late president, Richard Nixon. This guy had his own company, Grinding Concrete. So Grinding Concrete, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, when you have, you have a sidewalk and you got a tree root and at the expansion joint, it lifts it up a little bit, right? It's called a trip hazard. Well, you had this machine that would grind that down to an angle to get rid of the trip hazard. Okay. So he offered my brother a job. Uh, my brother worked for him for a while and making a minimum wage and wasn't reimbursing him his gas because he had to use his own truck and stuff. So my parents were like, come on, don't work for anybody else. Go into business, do it. And made a deal with my brother because I wanted to become white collar. I, I had one dream. I wanted to work in an air conditioned office with a view. I'm supposed to be blue collar. <laughs> I didn't realize it at the time, but there was a difference, right? I mean, your parents expected you to college and expected you to do that. I think because my parents were immigrants, they just didn't understand. They didn't understand prom. They didn't understand why I had to get a limo. It made no sense to them. I told my brother, I said, okay, here's the deal. You do the work. I'll get you the work. I don't want to be out there in the sun. I don't want to be pushing broom. Dad gave us a credit card, $5,000, bought the equipment, paid it off in a month. And um, we went into business. And then I dropped out of college a year later, started taking business classes. And I got a, I got like a C or a D on a business writing letter. And by that time, I was making more than the instructor. I was in business and it was doing well. So I said, you know, I'm not learning anything. So. Yeah. This uh, concrete company, is this the Sabre, I think, that I see listed on your LinkedIn yeah. profile? It started, it was called South Coast Grinding and then Concrete Grinding Company as we took it national. And then I changed it to Sabre because we okay. started doing more services. But uh-huh, yep, Sabre. Okay. And yeah. it still exists. Yeah. You go from this, I don't know if you graduated or not, not that it matters, but you, no. so you, you drop out of college because you're making more money than the instructor, to your point. Now, how did you navigate the the quote unquote business landscape for maybe someone that had never done it before. I, I imagine the answer might've been, you just figured things out as they went, but is there any more nuance than that, Nick? Oh yeah. There's, there's great <laughs> nuance. So the first thing we did is we walked up to the end of the street. There's this, I thought they were apartments, you know, you just, they look like apartment sidewalks and we walk around noting, writing down all the trip hazards. And then we knock on somebody's door and say, Hey, here's all the trip hazards, you know, we want to fix them. And she goes, well, this is an HOA and the board does that. You're very lucky. I'm the board president and we have a meeting in two days. Can you give me a proposal? Like, yeah. So we go home and writing up this proposal, you know, buy some forms at wherever. 
thinking, what do we price them at? You know, and we're thinking, God, yeah, if we price them at $25, shoot, we can yeah, I'll make so much money. My dad says, 25? No, you're going to charge 58. No way, that's ripping them off. He goes, look, just do it. So anyway, that was probably the best advice we got because, um, yes, that was still too cheap. A week later, we got that job. And they approved it. And it was like uh, $2,2200 so I could pay back the equipment and stuff. So the next thing I did, this is funny. I used to go and drive around, find a phone booth. And in the phone booth, there's a yellow pages. You go there, go to apartments. Apartment A, Paul. Hey, do you have trip hazards? What? Or do your sidewalks, do you need? A lot of strikeouts. But every time I learned something, right? They're all like, well, are you a vendor? Are you a vendor with the management company? No, what's a management company? Mm. Well, we're managed by this and this. Oh, okay. All right. Slowly, bit by bit, you know, and eventually, do you have insurance? Ooh, what's insurance? Huh. So literally, there, there was no formal education. I, I don't remember how I figured how to form the business. I think back then, go down to the city hall. I don't remember. But it was trial by error. And it just, you know, wh whatever works, keep on yeah. doing it. Yeah. And there was so much demand. We were the only ones that doing it because it, we were lucky with the product because the, the, the alternative is tearing out the concrete and replacing it. So you can imagine how much that costs, right? Yeah. That's several hundred dollars. And they have wet concrete. We have closed concrete and then wet yeah. concrete and people write in it. This is instantaneous, 10 minutes and it's done. You're doing like cold outreach, figuring things out as you went. And yeah. I, I think you also mentioned on that conversation that I, that I listened that you already had, the advice that you would give people maybe starting a business or otherwise is, you know, don't get bogged down in creating the logo and worrying about all the minutiae, just get out there, you know, prove that you've actually got something and then you can figure things out. And I think what you just said, uh, I think accentuates that yeah. beautifully. It, it does. It, it does. And and I see it so much today, um, or I've seen uh, in the past 10, 15 years with these startups and these people and, you know, their logos and their patents and their ideas and yeah. all this stuff before they've even pulled the trigger to build and they, they, they don't have enough guts to pull the trigger on the yeah. final thing. Cause it's easy to do the business card and all this. And, and I just think it's the wrong approach, you know, use your first check to buy your business cards. Mm. And I would, I, I, I'm oversimplifying it, I think a little bit, but I was very, very, very naive. And, um, and that helped me. It helped me. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I'm, I'm lucky that, that I, yeah. that I didn't know. Yeah. Because Sometimes I didn't know. I didn't know what, I what couldn't be afraid know. of anything. Yeah. Right? It was just, yeah. the world was there. It was just, yeah. oh, you just got to go do it. Yeah. Too many people scare themselves or, you know, oh, you need to get insurance and you got to get a business and there's taxes. And I didn't know any of that. You just go and do it. So it was. Figure um, it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Figure it out. You and your brother, I guess, eventually take this company national. And I think I saw there was a little intersection there where the company is still ongoing or your time at the company is ongoing. But now we've got this thing called Ceritasa that, that comes into the picture. So I'm curious, what was the origin story for Ceritasa? I'd like to back up just a little bit because this is where technology comes into it again. Okay. So now remember, I'm in the office. I got my computer. So I start building systems to run this and i wasn't programming there was a program called helix it's a drag and drop database relational right. database right drag and drop you know, no programming uh, no coding and i built this great workflow system incoming calls um scheduling organizing printing so i didn't i, I was the first company i knew that didn't buy stationary 
or by invoices or anything because they just printed it dynamically as I as I it was just I was more thrilled with building this product and I just I learned about relational databases how they work trial and error just keep on building so for me it was fun because I didn't have to hire anybody I could take these calls and I can see I saw the scale that I could do and then um and really, it was driven by the technology part because, again, I was, I was fasc- fascinated with technology, but not as the programmer, as the user of it. But I know enough that I can make it work together. So, eventually, so so we came up with I came up with a system. I it's it's quite easy to deploy this, so I could advertise in a different state. All I'd have to do is go buy a pickup truck, some equipment, train a guy give it to them and give them a fax machine and a pager. Um, I hit a button and the computer would fax out to each location, the jobs for the next day, the maps where the locations are, the bids. At the end of the day, they would fax it in, they would come in. I was completely paperless back in 92, still before internet, I think. And I remember then I started hiring more people and uh, daisy chained computers together and got an email program. So the email was not through the internet. It was just we could now communicate yeah. and chat with the other people in the office. Yeah, it was huge. Internet. Yeah, yeah, internet. And then so I had to buy a little box, which was the email server. Uh, but that was all internal. Nothing was connected right. outside until I got my Prodigy account. Okay. 300 baud modem after work. Look, let me type. There's somebody out there. <laughs> so after work, we just like it, this was right before AOL. It was yeah. it was called Prodigy. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Again, it, it it sounds silly today. Yeah. But that was exciting. Look, there's somebody else out there. Yeah. But where are you? Right. You're in Michigan. Wow. We're yeah. here in California. Yeah. I remember the the first time it. It's so funny saying this out loud, but my grandparents were actually the first ones that introduced me to email back. It was a service called, I think it was Juno. I'm not sure if you were familiar with that or not mm-hmm. at the time, but it was, I don't know how they got on it before me, but it was, I guess it was 56K modem. And I don't remember how old I was, but it was, it was to your point. It was like, it was like magic because I guess now we obviously we take that for granted because we've got you and I are talking right now, video conferencing, never met prior to this talking in real time. But back then it was like a a light bulb moment. So, and it was so funny that my grandparents are the one that introduced me to that. So you're building these systems and I'm curious now, sounds like, I think we're going to segue into maybe the next idea. Well, yeah. So obviously the, the Sabre uh, that wasn't my chosen, right? That's just something I ended up doing. And it was a lot of fun because I learned I learned how to run a business and I learned a lot about using technology to run a business. So I become a, I became a salesman and a businessman and somebody who knows how to use tech, right? I started dabbling around a little bit, helping some other people that had businesses, setting them up with not just websites, but I, I, I call it websites that do things, maybe more forms or something like that, because you could, I'm not a graphic artist, any graphic artist, uh, I think it was go live and stuff. They do it there. They hit a button and it generates HTML or something, but I would I, just, just other people I knew they'd come to me and, and I'd help them with technology little bits for their company. I used search very, very, very early on. This was before Google, before Yahoo. I forgot the name of the other ones. Um, uh, they, 
Yahoo acquired them. Anyway, it was a penny per click. And I used that to do the advertising for my concrete grinding nationwide because yellow page ads were very expensive and you'd have to buy it in every city or every county. I mean, you just couldn't do it. Yeah. But I was so surprised that people were actually using search by then. So what I did is I created um, some directories, um, search directories, but you'd have to pay for it. So you'd have to pay me $10 a month. And I would show you sites like um, we did, I did holistic medicine. Or, so what I do is go on the search engines and look up websites that I thought were pretty good. And then I put them on my site and I charge somebody 10 bucks. So, you're so there was a period, basically. Yeah. But then what I do is I pay to be number one position on those, mm -hmm. on the search engines. Okay. So I pay a penny and then I'd get people that subscribed and, um, you know, it, it doesn't take too long before you have thousands of subscribers that don't look at their credit card that keep on paying $10 a month for right. using your directory. Now, you know, that that's, that's going to be a short lived business. That was a yeah. hobby, but I learned some stuff because what I did is I just leveraged my, uh, my knowledge of search. It, it's arbitrage, right? I'm, yeah. I'm paying the search engine to send me somebody and I'm doing another search engine that's better or yeah. a directory that's focused. And you stumbled on the subscription model long before it became sexy. Was that a, I guess, how did you arrive on that? Was that just dumb luck or did you kind of think through how you could best sustain that for the time that it was going to go? I had a friend of mine that came up and said, I got this friend that's doing the subscription model. He said, I could do it too. Can you build me this? I don't know how to build it. Now I'm not a coder, but by then I had hooked up with this freelancer that um, did coding for me. Um, so I'd work with him. I said, sure, I'll build you that for free. If I could use the same model, hmm. he said, sure. Now there's nosedived. I ended up building three or four or five in different verticals and that, um, it did very, very well for me for a couple of years. Um, so I just, yeah, that's it. I just, I just built it and I, I just, I guess I knew how to execute on it a little better than yeah. they did. So. so did you just keep building on the, these ideas and this is what I guess was the origin story for Saratosan eventually took you away from the concrete business? No. So, so what had happened more and more just through people I knew would come to me and they'd ask for, can you help me with this? And, 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 and they got a little bit bigger, these projects, they were more like workflow systems. And um, at the same time, the, the concrete grinding, it's a very low cost of entry. You can buy the equipment for 1500 bucks. It doesn't take skill. I mean, anybody can do it. Uh, remember I said, we started uh, charging $58 per grind. Yeah. Uh, we're 20 years into this. I got people that work for me for 10 years. I give them a 401k health insurance and everything. These are making some good money, but my competitors are now charging $25. That's how competitive it got. Okay. I, the business became a commodity because it caught on and everybody was doing it. Yeah. And and they were doing it just as sole practitioners and I couldn't compete. So I wanted to get out. Um, we introduced some other services to keep it alive, but I, I, it, it's not what I wanted. So I just made a decision. I said, all right, my brother, you, you can take over the business um, and I'm going to I'm just going to go full time into this. Consulting, okay. tech consulting, okay, and uh, and that was the decision. I said, okay, I, I'm, I'm 
Oh, and it also started a little bit of paid search because I knew the paid search as well. So most of my business at that time, I was just picking up some paid search right. gigs for, right. for other people. So, right. Okay. And I'm curious this, so the, maybe the side gig as it started, this arbitrage, you mentioned it didn't last for that long, but it was quite lucrative while it lasted. Were you yeah. eventually maybe, uh, I guess more and more people perhaps caught on as well, that there was this arbitrage opportunity and it was less lucrative over time. And then I guess Google started to do their own curation eventually. So is that kind of how that died out and you were forced to yeah. evolve? Well, yeah. Search engines became more um, accessible to Yahoo and then Google. So the the value I brought there wasn't wasn't as good anymore. People sure. were just new. They they knew how to search for this stuff on their own. They didn't need me for it anymore. So okay, it wasn't a model that was going to last for that long. I didn't. I okay. don't. I don't think. Or it was kind of hands off. It was just I. I all I do is do the advertising. And and I tried some of the verticals and there and it, and it, and it only worked for some. I didn't understand quite the uh, why there was more demand for some niches uh, as opposed to others like um some of the holistic medicine stuff it didn't didn't just yeah it didn't work as well so okay. I, I think it i think just the search engines just became more popular and people yeah. learned how to use them so they're they learn not to have to pay for it how's that sure sure okay yeah. now i'm on Ceratos's website now and i see you guys you specialize in mobile development web development ar vr custom development iot solutions devops database project takeovers so it seems like the the scope is massive today i'm i'm curious how that started off i would imagine you probably didn't start off with all of those different verticals but yeah well maybe where you started well it first started with a business or two friend referral that needed help and then I started advertising for it, and then we attracted startups. Okay. Now this is before mobile. This is before the iPhone came out and the whole mobile mobile ecosystem. And um, uh, we built several. It was really popular to build like social. So MySpace was was around then, and we built like. Skate University was one. So it's a it's a website for skaters, right? And some they had some names behind it, and it was everything skateboard, photos, reach out, uh, bulletin board, like a, like a community, um, advertisers, right? And then um, there were all kinds of niches, right? People who come out of the woodwork. So mostly all the work we did was startups, people that just came to us, they had some money, and they wanted to build this, you call it a web app, right? A, yeah. a startup. But what happened just a couple of years into it and uh, is um, the announcement of, well, the, the iPhone came out, which is pretty cool. And then they announced the, um, the marketplace, the app store. I felt very strongly in my gut that this was going to be huge. So, you know, we, we signed up for it and I, I wanted to make sure we had a couple apps on the store the day it opened. Nice. We just built some silly games, right? We didn't know what to build. And we took our best PHP and had them cross train to iOS and we had it up and um the store opened and of course i i'm paid search i'm early in paid search and i know how to do it so in orange county california where we started i'm the only mobile app developer if you do a search i'm the only one showing up because hmm. there was no competition yet so i'm the only mobile app developer on day one and know how to use paid search and willing to pay you know ten dollars per click because I know that the ROI isn't this month, next month, the month after. I, I I know how to measure that. Oh, we got calls. And the first thing they'd ask us, 
So do you build iPhone apps? Yeah. Have you built any? Well, how can you build any? They just opened it up. Oh, yes, we have. We have a couple on the store. Of course we they have. all want to know that question, even yeah. though it's kind of, a, yeah, of course we have. And um, everybody and their brother and their sister and the aunts and the kids are going to build an app of some yeah. kind. And it really drove our growth. It was, I call it the tidal wave, right? It just, yeah. um, and then that was followed by the iPad. No businesses yet, though. I think we were well five years into it before businesses kind of said, oh, maybe we could utilize this. So we really started just startups. Yeah. And, and the businesses were not, were not, they weren't spending their money on it yet. Not, 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 not the SMBs, right? Small, maybe enterprise and stuff, but that's outside of our world. And then, you know, we all know how that evolved. A lot of startups and then the iPad and then businesses started getting in, mostly marketing departments. We got good accounts with some pharmaceutical companies, you know, the, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical reps that walk through the doctor's offices with the little, that little luggage thing, the good looking people that they hire, right? And they go yeah. to the doctor and then they show all this material. Well, the iPad, right? Interactive. And I mean, so many fun things that we started, we got to build. Um, yeah. yeah. In, in the early days, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot amazing. of crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them failed, but they were great ideas. One of them was, a, a yeah, a coach, a, a soccer coach, right? Um, he, he hop of a soccer field, he he could do his plays and stuff and then hit start and then you could see them move so he could show everybody, right? And, wow, what a great novelty, but it's a soccer coach, right? He doesn't know how to market this and yeah. make money on it or anything, yeah. but um, a lot of fun things. So I think I heard before where you had mentioned that you almost, well, let me back up. So software developers speak one language and business people speak a completely different language. And you kind of, I may be summarizing a little bit, but it seems like you pride yourself in the ability to translate between those two languages. How did you become proficient at that? Yeah, I'm glad you you go back that way because when, when I decided to start this business, I, I did learn that, that they speak different languages it's, or they think differently, right? How did I learn that? I think I think my experiences with that uh, that uh, freelance uh, developer that I used for a few years, I think what it is is my fascination with computers, my early days of, I guess, understanding the basics of programming. You know, I, I understand the structure of it. I just don't know all the details, but I, I know it, right? And I could, I, re I kind of reverse engineered HTML. I never learned it, but, you know, you just kind of, you try things and then you look at it. You try it, you look yep. at it. You try it, you look at it. And you kind of reverse engineer it. Yep. And then dealing with the uh, drag and drop databases. So again, I'm not a coder, but I really understand how databases work, indexes, um, you know, the, the unique fields and all that. So I really understand that. So I think that fundamental part allows me to have a further discussion instead of just requirements. In other words, mm -hmm. so the customer went once you know we wanted to do this now how how are we going to do that right and then i can ask a few questions about database and make sure that that i'm going to get what i want out of it and i think the opposite the business owner they don't have any of what i just said i got right they said right. well i need i need a website that you know people enter their information and then it's going to show them whatever well there's something in their head that they see and you got to get that out. Got to get that out because 
I could build that 10 different ways. Right. And they'd all be right. Yeah. Except we didn't meet the expectations. Right. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's much as a language or my, you know, my, my upbringing, you know, my, my dad was always a stickler. He said, okay, so, you know, the, we have to learn English. It's, it's my job to make sure that the people I'm communicating to understand what's in my head and I can't use the language as a problem or whatever. In other words, I was taught very early that the responsibility of communication, right? And, and it may, maybe that's it. And maybe it's a combination of me understanding the fundamentals of computers and then being a businessman for 20 years, yeah. really. And, and I don't know what it was. So that was a big motivator because I thought, okay, I'm a translator. I, I can speak with developers. I, I know that I get along with them well, and I can really relate on the other side as well. I have something special here. So all I'm going to do is be that middleman. That's it. And um, eventually every single business is going to need technology, or they'll be wiped off the earth or become insignificant. That's a fact. And technology is constantly evolving and changing which means you need somebody that's going to keep up with it. Oh my God. It's like a Starbucks or a, there's a, there is a constant growing amount of demand and you need the translator and growing up in the service industry. I learned something. So I'm only service. I don't do product because I don't understand product, but I understand something very well about service. If you just meet expectations, you've already beat almost all your competitors because most people go. And then just set the expectations yeah. and meet them or exceed them. And you're going to win yeah. and then pivot to meet demand. Don't, don't sell your product. So that's why I don't like about a product, right? I mean, I don't know if people like this, right? I don't know how to build it, but I can see demand and demand can change and I can adapt to demand. If they yeah. need VR now, not that difficult for me to use the system to, to meet the demand. And again, put in the, the, the rules, set the expectations correctly. Don't overpromise. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. And it's just, it, for me, it was, this is simple as pie. Just, yeah. just do it. Do good work. Now, did we blow it sometimes? Yeah. Did we underestimate and really eat pie? Yeah. But, but we do it, right? We take responsibility for that. In other words, I'm still going to deliver, fall over backwards, go broke doing it because it's just, we can't be unfair to our customer and we have to be careful. And I'm very careful now. I won't take on anything we can't do. Right. And learn from, me. learn from the yeah. mistakes and try to yeah. make sure that you obviously don't ever repeat those. Yeah. You can't avoid the mistakes. They're going to be there. Sure. It's, um, yeah. And so anyway, so to answer your question uh, about the, the communication, uh, about the, the translating, that that's an important part. Now, I don't do that anymore as much, but I've created a culture around it and our project managers have to do that, right? They're, they're the client facing and then, um, you know, leading the development team. You, they can't be isolated, right? And yeah. We can't outsource something. I can't come up with a document and then mail it to you. And then you send me a zip drive with the final product. That, that's not going to work. Right. I don't care how clear those requirements are. That's right, not right. going to work. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a, a team effort. It's a lot of communication. 
Yeah. So to your point earlier about the the businesses needing to evolve, I'm very curious to the extent you're you're comfortable disclosing, because obviously we don't want to reveal any trade secrets here, but are you implementing generative AI? I know that seems to be the current craze. Are you looking to, yeah, I guess I'll start with that. How are you staying abreast of the latest technologies, trying to integrate those perhaps such that you won't be supplanted by someone that is? It's a great question. Um, you know, and, and we, we've seen a lot of fads. I don't want to call them fads necessarily. I remember, you know, cloud computing and and everybody, everybody call up, hey, we, we need cloud computing. What do you mean you need cloud computing? I mean, you know, um, and and so we're, we're, we're not knee-jerk. And, you know, there's a lot of programming languages, too, that developers just, oh, my God, look at this is going to change the world. Now, it needs adoption, needs to be tested. It needs to, it needs to get weathered a little bit. So, we're very careful with the the innovative stuff, especially if the clients are coming to us and, and wanting something. So with the AI, that's that's interesting. Yes. Do we get people who call up and say, hey, I want AI? It's like, okay. Can you, can you explain what it is? No, but I need it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want machine learning. All right. So how much data do you have? Do you have terabytes of data? I can help you. If you don't have any data, what are we going to learn off of? Right? You right. feel like we have to educate people on. But so we don't see... We we don't we don't see those things out there yet where somebody to call up and say, look at I I have this uh, you know custom CRM system and I'd like to integrate AI to make it better. It's like, well, do, you know, is there an API? Did somebody come to you? Do you want me to integrate some product? I, you don't. You're not asking me to create a product, are you? Because we don't we don't. You know, we can create a product. Can you define it for us? I mean, yeah. you tell me what you want. So that'll come about. I I see there'll be WordPress plugins, AI that do things. I don't know what they are yet. I don't know where the demand is, and I don't know. Um, and and we'll we'll be able to uh, do that, right? We'll be able to incorporate whatever tool, open source, paid, just like we do now with, you know, using different, uh, you know, somebody wants a payment system, right? We don't build a payment system. We integrate one of them. But the bigger question is internally, right? So we're playing around. We're experimenting to see where uh, the limitations are and yeah. so forth. So one of the things that, you know, we, we want our clients to budget for is to create Automated testing, right? So when we when we do updates and stuff, we hit a button and it and it runs through and tests the code, right? Certain features, right? Nobody has a budget for that. You know, you got to maintain that. You got to build it in. It's going to add significantly to the project. I I am I'm hoping maybe that there's some kind of solution where we can say, you know, we can build auto testing for you for very little. Uh, we use an AI bot to um to generate the auto test. Now, I don't know if that's possible yet. It could be. I'm not sure if it's good enough yet, right. but I could see that. Um, perhaps helping with commenting mm. or um, or code review, uh, code yeah. check-ins, because we you know we have our process right because we have multiple people working on it and they check in the code and we have this code review and things. So I can see some of that, um, yeah. but but remember I'm not the developer. I don't know, sure. but I would like to see efficiencies. I think it's early. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Don't know where this is going to go. I know that um, you know when my sales reps or something. Send me an email or copy me an email to a client. Uh, I can tell when they use chat GTP and I'll call them right up. I said, don't do that again. <laughs> I mean, I can smell that a mile away. You may think yeah. you may think it sounds really fancy and nice, yeah. but uh-uh. 
Yeah. Do not do that. So we have yeah. some we have some rules already, internal rules. You don't you don't have you do not have chat GTP write your words. Right. You I want to hold you responsible for your words. Yes. Yes. I don't want you to say, oh well, I didn't write that. Yeah. So, yeah. so I don't know. It's a good question. I, I ask me ask me in um, six months and in twelve months from now, and I'll yeah. have a different answer. Yeah. No. I think what I hear there, Nick, is that you you stay abreast of current trends and you don't necessarily follow the herd mentality. I guess you can maybe trust but verify kind of a thing, but still being open minded to that eventual evolution, which I think sounds like a, a reasonable approach. Yeah, I think I think we have to now because I, I said we did startups and with startups, it is different. They want to be cutting edge technology. They're taking risks and stuff. But a majority, almost all of our clients today are businesses and they depend on us for the right answer. Yeah, They, they want to utilize technology, but they don't want to be on the experimental R&D yeah. side. They want the, the working, the hardened, the proven back end, you know, technology. Let's not go play. Ruby on Rails. Well, I don't want to rip on Ruby on Rails, but I guess I just did. <laughs> uh, or whatever the new flavor of the month back in is, right? Um, right. You know, we're gonna we're gonna stick to the core ones, and and I think we have a responsibility to do that for our clients, just yeah. in case something something fades out. Yeah. I mean, that's end of life for them unless we go in and we fix it, and then we're not even gonna have developers anymore because you, you know it's hard to find developers that still, you know, code in some of the languages and that's end of life right. for, for those, those products. So yeah, we yeah. take a careful approach on that. Yeah. But the startups are fun when we do get them because they, um, it, it allows the developers and us to really play a lot and, and they want us to right? Yeah. cutting edge, yeah. see what we can do. Yeah. So it I gives us that. good practice as well. Now, Nick, I don't get to talk to that many business owners. And, and I'm, again, I'm, I'm curious about something completely different present day inflation is running rampant i believe and i'm curious as a business owner how does that affect your decision making in terms of like the hurdle rates that you need to clear and like your retained earnings at the end of year i assume you have to continue to raise your own prices but the ultimate question is like are, are you worried about runaway inflation and how are you combating that within the business it's a good question and it is um it's up there um for us when running the business yeah, when when inflation was, um, you know, last year it was at eight percent or something like that, or the year before. Allegedly, yeah. So one of the biggest pressures, of course, is you know we have our annual uh, annual reviews with all of our employees, and um, you know um, I'm in the habit of, I mean, I'm, they don't get the eight percent or whatever inflation is. They're they're going down. Forget the merit increase. I mean, right. just that alone. So, okay, yeah. so that's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and everything is a little bit. All this we use a lot of different SaaS products, you know, for all our, our tools and that. Yeah, and and the inflation goes up. So yes, it did force us to. We we typically we I I I, I wasn't raising rates that aggressively, but um, it did force me. We went to uh, all of our clients and. You know, raised the rates and said we have to do this. It was also at a time where um, I think there was a shortage of developers before all these layoffs. Uh, you know, a few years ago, or keeping developers was, was was a little bit harder. So yeah, no, I have to raise the rates, and all the clients 
they took it. I mean, they, but you know, there, there's there's also there's there's other factors that go into that. Um, our, the caliber of our clients and the difficulty and complexity of our projects are getting bigger. Yeah. So as we grow and mature as a company, as the deal sizes, the seriousness of what we're doing, the importance of what we're doing, we can demand more money because we're just better. Sure. So. So there, there's an evolution. There's all kinds of stuff, right? You just automatically grow into um, higher tiers of which you can charge yep. because you're you're that good. Uh, there's the inflation. Um, but at the same time, you've got to pay the people more too. So we did. So normally you can handle the inflation and stuff. I don't think there's going to be runaway inflation. This is manageable now. The 8%, ugh, you know, you can't have that that often uh, for, for a continued period of time. The softening of the market, which... There is a softening, uh, which means that businesses are more reluctant. They have pressure not to spend money. So sure. if they don't need it, if it's uh, if it's something they can push off to next year, which many of these projects you can, there's some things you can't. That combined with inflation is a double-edged sword a little bit. So, but that that just comes to how you manage a business, right? You you have to manage a business responsibly, and um, you know I've learned that uh, over the years takes really good forecasting. I mean, you got to be able to see ahead three months. Yeah. You have to be able to see ahead three to six months accurately, like sales, revenue, costs. Yeah. Let me ask you a different question. Talk to me about flying. I see you got your private uh, pilot's <laughs> license in 94. When did that hobby start for you? Oh, I think after five years after starting concrete grinding, yeah, about five years. Uh, we only had Southern California. I sold it to my brother and I opened up a new company. I guess I, yeah, it was called 1-800-CONTRACTOR. Hmm. There was a, uh, I don't know if you heard of 1-800-DENTIST. It was in Southern yeah. California. They were on all the airwaves and uh, okay. there was television ads. And so you call 1-800-DENTIST and they refer a dentist to you. So I started 1-800-CONTRACTOR. I secured the phone number. It was before the internet. And I made radio commercials. Unfortunately, the Gulf War broke out uh, about one month into my radio ads or two months into radio ads, and the economy really dumped. I kept it alive for about three or four years, but eventually just I, I couldn't do it. Uh, it mm -hmm. just didn't work out. Uh, had to spend too much money on advertising. So I found myself unemployed. My brother, by this time, he owned the business, um, and uh, he let me move into his house, and I went on unemployment, and I was bored. So I went to community college. I took philosophy and public speaking. And my buddy I went to high school with, he was a, a flight instructor because he tried to get his hours in. So he gave me flight instructions for free. Nice. Uh, right? I mean, what do you do when you're bored, right? Tried yeah. to learn to play the learn piano. To fly. <laughs> yeah. So I eventually, I eventually made a deal with my brother. I said, you keep Southern California, but we're going to be partners in the rest of the country. And that's why I started expanding because he wouldn't sell his little piece. So I had to start. And by the way... It was a new deal. So I had to mm. fly out, get in a truck, go in the middle of Texas, put on a mask and a broom and grind and fly mm. to Florida and do it. So at the end of the day, I, I, I did have to do that hard labor work. But yeah, I, I loved it. And we, we, we built that up. So it was anyway. Yeah, no, that's good stuff, Nick. And I know we're coming up on an hour. I certainly would be respectful of your time. But before you get out of here, I would love to throw you a few rapid fire questions and uh, throw you in the proverbial hot seat if you're up for it. Sure. All right. First question. What does your typical morning routine look like? It depends. I, uh, pre COVID, um, everything's changed since COVID. Like right now I'm in Florida 
and I live in an RV resort because we just opened an office in Tampa six months out of the year. So I play pickleball for two hours okay. every morning when I'm here. But when I'm at home, it is a walk down to the beach with the dog and the wife, uh, an hour and a half walk. So I think every single morning it's a, it's a walk or some kind of physical activity. I love it. If money didn't exist, what do you think you would do every day with your time? <sighs> I love boats. I, I have four boats. I got a big sailboat. I got a little sailboat. I got a 27 foot and a big motorboat down the Keys. I think I like the water. I, I, I think I'd like to be on boat. If you could send a single message to your former self, Nick, to help you through these multiple pivots and transitions that you've done throughout your career, what do you think that message would be? Do exactly what you did again. Don't change anything. No regrets. No regrets. Maybe little ones, maybe that small little, little, Thing, but even that makes me who I am. So don't, no, I don't want to change a thing. Yeah, no, I love that. Are there any books or podcasts that have maybe had a big impact on you? I really like listening to uh, Peterson. Jordan? Uh, jo Jordan Peterson. Um, he's just, he's fascinating all across his podcasts and the, yeah. just the wide range of stuff. Very intellectual. Wow, God, that brain. Yeah. No, and um, I like listening to Huberman too. I forget what his first name is, Huberman, uh, Stanford professor, and yeah. Andrew Huberman. Yeah. Yep. Those fascinate me. I like yeah. those. No, I listen to both as well. And I think it, I think that's one of the coolest things about, you know, mediums like podcasts is you can, I guess, select these people that curate these interesting, if not disparate topics, and you can basically become your own subject matter expert at 2X, no less. I, I, I always joke that yeah. for the most part at Rogan, I could sometimes listen to it at 3X depending, but I, I love the selection that we have today. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about today that we didn't? No, I don't, I don't think so. I appreciate your being your guest here. And, you know, it's, it's actually fun to go through that journey a little bit because I'm not asked these questions much. Yeah, you gave me a little bit of a journey. If people want to learn more about you or maybe Saratasa as well, where should we send them? So I, I, don't, I don't maintain social uh, um, presence profiles and stuff. I don't, not, not enough time in my life for that. It's very too busy. Um, you know, if somebody's interested, of course, of, of wanting to do work with Ceritas or something, you know, they our phone number on their web form, you know, they contact us, very capable people there. Um, um, and, you know, if somebody wanted to reach out for other reasons or anything, um, I would say just uh, go through that as well. Um, they'll curate that to make sure I'm not pounded by a bunch of people. But, uh, you know, I'm certainly interested in anything and everything. But if somebody yeah. wanted to reach out, just tell them I saw you on the podcast and pass this along to Nick. And they'll, they'll do that for me. Yeah, no, I love it. And I'll definitely link Saratos's website in the uh, show notes. And Nick, again, I want to, I want to thank you for coming on. This was a little bit different of a conversation, but I still thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think so many of the, the nuggets of wisdom that you dropped throughout, I do think that they translate not only into the business realm as you conveyed it, but in people executing career pivots into tech. So uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your own journey. All right. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it as well. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's show, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on Apple or Spotify. It's a free way you can support the show and help other people just like you find the story and others like it. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to follow the show on whatever podcast application you use. And most importantly, if you know someone that might be interested in breaking into tech, tell them about the show.